And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous starship captain once said, and as another famous starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, We'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always. That's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now, let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. I think this is going to be a fun topic, although it might not sound fun at first. We're going to talk about anger, frustration. Surprise, everybody who voted on the poll this week. Surprise. Um, we're going to talk about revenge. We're going to talk about frustration, rage, uh, rage, all this sort of stuff. Um, what what we can do to move forward in more of a logical way when we're so emotional, and um, how Star Trek can help us to to, to deal with all of this. Um, so right now, we would love to hear your feedbacks in the comment section. Um, what's your favorite Star Trek? episode or film that deals with anger rage frustration revenge i know wrath of khan yes 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 we're gonna talk about wrath of god we know it's everyone's favorite um beyond wrath of khan what's your favorite episode what's your favorite story that deals Wait, with those are two anger? different movies oh uh, what's that i said those are two different movies though wrath of khan and beyond that's... Oh, I see what you're doing okay. there, Larry. Uh, it wasn't much, but it was something. You know, there's there's a lot of anger, rage, uh, revenge in Star Trek Beyond too. So we could we could talk about that as well. And yes, Jared, uh, Doctor Trek and Ali are both wearing um, the same shirt apparently. So we coordinated. We have our life support blue today. Our topic this week um, was a late entry to the poll and never was a winner. But guys, if you read the fine print when you sign the contract. <laughs> we reserve the right to always pick our own topics, so we'll get to everything eventually. But um, because you were very, you felt very strongly about this being timely, right? I did, I did. And um, what I was thinking is, uh, and this gets us to our um, our first segment, the briefing room. This is where we um, explore this issue and how it relates to Star Trek, um, as well as today, this world we're living in right now, Larry. There's a lot of anger right now. There are a lot of reasons to be angry. Um, I think... I, you know what? I I don't agree. And I'm really pissed at you trying to make me think this. <laughs> I mean, uh, I will fight you about I'm that, Dr. not fast Tra- <laughs> today. I'm not wearing a mask. Well, I mean, that's... Uh, l- let's kind of start with that, right? Um, there is a lot of anger at the coronavirus and COVID-19 and the ways in which our our world has changed as a result of it. There's a lot of anger related to the economic collapse that's that's happened as a result. There's a lot of anger related to people who aren't wearing masks, people who are feeling like they're forced to being wear to wear a mask. There's anger at um, in America, I can speaking for myself, there's a lot of anger at how our government has responded. Local, state, 
and national. There's anger at, um, as an American, at, at um, our status in the world. Like, Larry, there's not a lot of places Americans are invited right now. Um, I, I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I don't blame them. I mean, we're we, we're really struggling to contain this virus here in the United States. Um, there's anger at the racial injustice, um, at police brutality, as we talked about a few episodes ago. There are a lot of reasons. To and my be... uncle Fred. No, I don't. <laughs> there's there's so much anger going on right now, um, and I really felt strongly that we should talk about this and we should do an episode about about anger what it is how to deal with it and there's so many examples from star trek to draw upon that's hopefully going to um, make this a good conversation for us uh yes uh some i just saw oh i missed it i'll find it again somebody oh (laughs) libby in the chat said but being in balance is no fun <laughs> we don't have to go as far as Spock uh, attempts to, um, or some of those other Vulcans, some of the uh, uh, 100% Vulcans. Um, but there's there's a lot I think we can learn from, um, and there's there's so many so many episodes to draw from. Um, uh, you know, the very first episode that sticks not not episode that the very first film that sticks out for me when it comes to anger, like I will never forget this scene. Um, it's from Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country, and this was the first ever piece of Star Trek that I ever watched in my mm-hmm. entire life, and it's what got me into Star Trek. The mashed potatoes scene. The best of <laughs> guess oh. who's coming to dinner. Um, it's the no, scene. No, I mean, shooting the mashed potatoes with a phaser. That was, I remember watching. Oh, oh right, 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 I right. I got right. really mad at that scene, but probably not for the same reasons that you're going to have on another. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean there's mashed potatoes and a phaser in a galley on the, no, I'm kidding. It made me so I, mad. No, go ahead. I, um, I love the scene, the, the briefing with the, um, with the mm-hmm. admirals, and we can confirm some of them are actually admirals. Uh, we can, <laughs> yes, we can we confirm can. that. Uh, what we what we see is uh, the Starfleet is being briefed, and and the crew of the Enterprise is being briefed on um, this mission to uh, to Kronos um, and to negotiate peace talks um, because the Klingon Empire has suffered this uh, Chernobyl-like disaster um, and they won't be able to survive. They need the Federation's help. And Kirk privately with Spock, uh, they had this encounter and Spock... Spock's trying to convince Kirk of this mission that he volunteered them for and Kirk says, let them die. Um, with such vitriol in that moment. And and the whole story is really Kirk's about... Kirk's face is still so vivid to me. If only we had an image of oh, it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we, we probably do. Um, but that um, that moment to me is... Um, is there we go. There is the great William Shatner in that moment. And... Um, one of the things I love about Shatner is um, he really knows how to move that jaw when he's angry. Like we see that in Wrath of Khan too. I was going to say that's a Khan-like jawline. Yeah, 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 yeah. One hundred percent. Khan bust out. And that that film is so much about anger and prejudice and um, and, and these moments and these feelings. But that scene has always really stuck out to me. Um, 
Larry, are there moments of, of anger in Star Trek that really stick out to you? Uh, see, I I don't know if I just have an anti... I mean, there are... Once we sit down and start analyzing, uh, there are... Uh, well, yes, there's the my, one of my favorite all-time scenes. I hadn't even thought about it this way. But my one of my favorite scenes in my favorite episode is... Because I say it's McCoy's best go-to-hell look ever is in the confrontation with Decker. And no, I'm not going to recite the whole scene... But basically, when he does a he does a toe rise and he's just glaring at Decker at the end because they won't. He's he's worried that not only are they not going to rescue Kirk from the constellation that seems to be a doomed ship, but he can tell that Decker has pulled rank on Spock, has all the regulations in power in his hands, and um, McCoy has been stifled. He's protested. He's run his course, and Decker's about to throw him in the brig. And there's nothing he can do in the moment, so he thinks he'll just go and disappear for the rest of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> but but it was a great it's a great anger moment. But it's a it's a it's you know there's nothing long seated there. It's very much in the moment, one to one, head to head in the confrontation at the time. But there is there are examples of like your Kirk moment is arising out of David being you know aside from all of yes. his cardboard cutout villain encounters on the right. series. It's really topped off by the Klingon bastards they killed my son. So Yes. Yes. Yes, which which plays out over the course of the film. Um we're getting such great examples um uh, mm-hmm. from the comments section. Zahir is talking about DS9 hard time comes to mind, specifically O'Brien exploding at Molly for wanting his attention. Seems like people in the twenty first mm-hmm. century are generally better at controlling their anger, which makes uh, which makes it seem even more meaningful. And and that's something, yeah, that, that's something I, I love to hear is um, how uh, when we see the characters... Molly must suffer. That's a new meme now. <laughs> Molly must suffer. Well, O'Brien must suffer. O'Brien has been, like, tortured in a hundred-year-long prison or, like, ten-year-long prison that was actually only a few moments. That's what I was referring to. Yeah. Uh, right, right. There's, there's I'm sorry. Lot- you... We're, hello, everyone. We're welcoming Dr. Ali from Psych World, where he may not know about the memes like O'Brien must suffer. But yes, that's exactly I, what I'm talking about. I haven't seen that meme, uh, I, but I can completely understand it. Um, we're also getting uh, a lot of examples of uh, uh, Picard's anger. Uh, Robert says mm-hmm. uh, Picard's anger in First Contact. Oh, yes. Um, and I think someone else mentioned that earlier on as well. Um, I really um, I really love these moments. And uh, for the reason that Zaheer mentions is um, sometimes Star Trek can feel like this very utopian future that we are aspiring to. But sometimes we might struggle to see ourselves in that or to see the characters struggling themselves and um anger is a really great example of that of uh, of something that makes these characters feel so human and um one of my favorite examples of a character that struggles with anger is Belana torres from uh, star trek voyager we actually and, see and in her case it makes her feel so human and also so klingon because she gets to yes. pull both of the threads yes in that tapestry yeah 100%. I think I think Larry you you reach your tapestry goal. I think you mentioned tapestry every week just because you know it's my favorite. You know it's, it's, a, it's favorite. A, Oh, is that why I do it? Oh, okay. It's Maybe. just my, it's just my counter to I'm just trying to start a drinking game to counter the Ollie does an impression drinking. Ollie does an impression. Yeah. So, that's fine. Uh, 
<laughs> I will not subject subject you all to my horrible Chief O'Brien impression. I can't. I can't do that uh, very well. Um, but uh, Torres is a is a really great example. Yeah, Larry. So like. Well, that scene you just put up there, the very yeah. first time you meet her outside the, well, she's angry in the pilot, but she's, you know, she was, father abandoned the family, she's half claimed, she's mixed, people were saying, I saw on some board they were saying mixed race, but technically it's Star Trek, it's mixed species, but mixed still. Species, yeah, but yeah. and then she's, she's got mother issues on top of the father that left her, she's in the Maquis, you know, it's not the, you know, people in the Maquis were very principled. But some people were attracted to the Maquis because it was the place to go to be a ne'er do well. Yeah. Wow. Is ne'er do well a real word in the 21st century? <laughs> um, but anyway, she has anger issues, and they are popping out constantly, even when she's among friends. And that first, the first scene when she's punched Carrie out in engineering because she yeah. thinks he's an idiot, and she knows more than he does, and she should be the chief engineer, but she's not about to get it because she's a Maquis. And then by the time of the end of the episode, uh, she is chief engineer, and they've decided to get along. But she's popping off at him there, and even in that one moment there. What, um, what I, I what I love about Torres, and and we see this in a, um, in a way that we we don't necessarily see with other characters in anger, <laughs> is um, it really highlights our relationship to anger. I think that's something that's that's really key here because in in my work what I found is people have very strong opinions about anger like it shouldn't be felt it shouldn't be experienced mm -hmm. we need to tame it versus other people who um who have experienced such benefits to getting angry. I mean, some people are really good at using anger to better get what they want. So for example, um there are, uh, let's say you're at a restaurant. This is something we used to do in the before times. We used to go to restaurants. <laughs> oh, to yes. Order do you remember, ones. Larry? Do you remember the that? Old ones. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe you and I even went to a restaurant once or twice in the oh, past. Well, it yeah. feels like eons ago. But um, <laughs> I think a good example of this is, let's say you order something um, and you're given the wrong dish or you're given something that's not quite what you asked for. Some people in that everyone's going to experience anger in that moment. But mm -hmm. some people who feel like anger is this thing that you should completely bury and not experience at all won't do anything. And these are people who are more likely to get taken advantage of in these kind of situations and not get their way. Or maybe they might do something that's passive aggressive that doesn't quite help them. Mm -hmm to deal with the situation, but it's some way of getting their anger out. And then there's right. other people who will yell and scream and um, the server is going to probably uh, change their order or in the worst case scenario, um, in an extreme scenario, maybe they do something that gets them into trouble and they get kicked out. So our relationship with anger, what we think and feel about anger is super important. And for Torres, when she gets angry or loses her temper, it it speaks to the challenges that she has with her identity of being half Klingon. Um, and she struggles with her anger seemingly more than what most Klingons do because of what it means to her. So I, I really love that about the character. Rebecca well, mentioned... Oh, yeah, I, th I think I think that's a dimension. I was just sitting here thinking about, as a species, Vulcans... You know, Vulcans always talk about they uh, and Sarek urged that they put away their emotion. Um, there we go. Yes, yes. As Sarek is losing it because of uh, was it Bendai syndrome? Um, 
But I'm thinking even culturally as a species, Vulcans way back in the hinterlands at the Great Away, the, the Reformation, and Ser- what Ser- oh, Sir, I said Serac, what Serac led them to was to put away emotion because they almost destroyed themselves, right? And all those years, I just thought about the Vulcans, you know, like lurping and unwounding themselves to death. And then it took Enterprise to say, no, they had nukes. Yeah. <laughs> they were, if they were going to kill themselves off as a, as a species, they weren't just going to, like, be bloodied all on the you know, battlefield. It would be, like, nuked, nuked into a melted mass. Uh, that's so actually like, something they, I love. I love that about uh, Enterprise about yeah. um, how it fills in some of the backstory of the Vulcans. And- Tons of Vulc story, uh, backstory. Vulc and- story, as we call it, yeah. <laughs> um, Rebecca, I love your I love your comment about Sarek, and I, I love... Um, mm-hmm. um, Sarek also reminds me of um, Spock in 2009's film, and we see it in Into Darkness as well. Spock is really struggling with grief and trauma. Um, he loses his mother. He's lost his planet. He's an endangered species. He He's he's really experiencing a, a strong traumatic reaction, and one way it's playing out for him is is anger. Um, Scott mentions in Day of the Dove, the entity yep. literally lives on anger and aggression. Wait, the entity is a troll. The moral the of the story. <laughs> <laughs> moral of the story is everyone laugh, love each other, and don't feed the troll. Always good advice. Thank you for that, Scott. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Uh, oh, here's a, a, another comment here in the chat from Libby um, on Facebook. She says, and I know this as a, just knowing news, but she's got a personal connection. I'm angry, she says, that in New Zealand it is so well controlled. They get there's yeah. the best controlled. It's the best country in the world, apparently. It's so well controlled they get to go about their business, whereas in the U.S. no one cares about others. It feels like. And yeah. she says her brother lives in New Zealand, so she's much up on it. Yeah. Um, uh, Jared's updating the the life support <laughs> drinking game. Take a drink when Ollie does an impression. Anyone sings tapestry reference. This is why I so missed you last week, Larry. During the first half, I didn't have anyone to sing with during Star Trek Insurrection. Oh, okay. Um, so you had Picard to... and you had Picard and Worf That's, <laughs> and Data. What do you mean? It's not quite, not quite the same. Um, Dan's mentioning our sound levels again. Um, I just, I just adjusted them again, Dan. Let me know if that helped out as well, um, at all. And let me know if we're having any, any, um, problems here. Um, The sound is the sound. What? (laughs) Larry, I also want to speak to, um, a few other moments. So we, we talked about, um, uh, we we alluded to Khan a little bit earlier, um, but we well, should Khan's also got, Khan's got like all these levels of anger. Yeah, let's Just let's I, I unravel those levels. Yes. Let's unravel that tapestry of anger, shall we? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So well, that last that last scene is like at the end of his rope. Right. He's right. he's half dead. He knows he's <laughs> going to die, but damn it, I'm going to take you all down with me. That's where, you know, that's the vengeance of Khan, FKA, the original title of the movie. Um, yeah, the whole vengeance anger thing. Well, was, let, you know, let's talk about that because, um, like, okay, yes, eugenics war, he is a genetically augmented uh, human. His, not only are all aspects of his uh, humanity <laughs> beefed up, but also his anger, his rage, all that sort of stuff. We know the backstory here. But 
what I think is great about uh, both um, Space Seed as well as Wrath of Khan is it, it does show us how anger can develop into revenge and the consequences mm-hmm. of it. So he's he's left on SETI Alpha 3, right? SETI Alpha 3? Or no! Four? He's on SETI Alpha 5! He said SETI Alpha 5. <laughs> This is why I... I can't believe... No, that's like right up there with the con line. This is City Alpha 5! Wait, this is not City Alpha 6. And we got uh, our first impression of the show, drunk. everyone. Um, they're going to be drunk and we're 10 minutes late starting and they're going to be drunk by uh, 10.45. Um, have some coffee. <laughs> by the way, folks, that was a tech issue. It's hard to have a live show when, it, when uh, your tech won't take your camera input, so... Yes, yeah, I know were. you were having flashbacks to last week. No, um, the the not only Khan was eugenically bred, and he had you know super, what is it a uh, superior breeding breeds superior intellect and yes. superior ego. So not yes. only did he have it coming out of the gate, and had that superiority complex, and then was a fallen deposed leader. So he's pissed about le- losing his empire because you know what they did, Ali? They gave the world order. Okay. Impression number two. (laughs) But then he's awakened again and had, you know, conquest snap from the jaws of victory. And he's stuck on this planet. So he's pissed about that. And then his wife dies. Yes. So he's pissed about that. And then he's but he and then he's left there. So he's festered for fifteen years. And 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 I don't know. I want to pause yeah. you just there for a second, Larry. Right there, we see why ex- people experience anger. Anger is a normal emotion when your goals are being blocked, when you've been wronged in some way, when you feel like there's been an injustice that's occurred to you or to people around you that, that you're close to. Or number four, you've lost status in some way. All of that happens to Khan. Do you get angry when we dip into the counselor's log too early? Uh, <laughs> I know. It's hard for me to hold back some of it. I just feel like I had to because because uh, I'm not trying to um, – I don't want us to feel uh, – <clears throat> I do think it's important to understand how Khan got to where he was because I think that's – all of us are capable of that. All mm-hmm. of us are, are capable of going to the place. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. So he has all uh, no, those I'm things. I'm saying that all those things were building up and then yeah. for it to all – I don't know that – you know, supposedly Nick Meyer is working on a series right now about Khan's time on his maroonment time. Mm-hmm. It's like it won't be a space show. It will be Khan and the gang on SETI Alpha 5 for those 15 years, which will be interesting. And – but who my point was going to be that I don't know that he'll be angry – every day of that existence but you know when we come back to him it's certainly the fact that oh here comes starfleet and it's not just starfleet it's here's kirk and it like just rips the wound off the scab the scab off the wound again there we go yeah so and and you know that's where we get to revenge um and that's how anger can can lead to revenge and 
to re- I'll save the research on revenge for the count- for the counselor's log. Uh, I'll keep you all um, in suspense of that. Uh, but revenge is a super complicated emotion, um, and and we're going to dive into that in in a moment. Um, let's um, speaking of some let let's go like way forward in time now. Let's go to Star Trek Picard. There's a wonderful example. <laughs> of anger that occurs when uh, Picard just walks into Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco, which is actually, he, he's basically walking into WonderCon. He's walking right. into Anaheim I- Convention Center. <laughs> I wish they dressed up that set a little bit more. because I wanted been somebody there... to walk by him and go, good cosplay. That's awesome. <laughs> I, yeah. It looks just like WonderCon, where this panel was originally supposed to be, which turned into this podcast. But anyways, I digress. Um, Admiral Kristen Clancy, I had to look up her name, because I, I don't know if we ever quite get her name in that in that moment i'm not sure but picard asked for like a ship a crew i want to go investigate this thing there's this um i think there's a, a romulan plot you know of all this stuff is afoot um and she's... i want him to say i was watching it last night i want him to say he, he says i'll i'll require a, a ship of this, of that, and I still want him to say, and a small block of platinum. I should think a few centimeters. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, wrong episode, wrong. <laughs> um, so it's, it's all impossible. It's, yeah. uh, and she gets so angry, so angry at him. She's like, you. She's controlled angry. It's controlling. Yeah, yeah, but it is. I mean, she doesn't like punch him in the face. She doesn't grab a phaser. She and, lets and, it out with the F word. But she she does, which there's some research that uh, swearing is uh, actually does relieve some of the intensity of emotions. There's there's some research on that. Um, and we see that in this moment. Uh, it's also CBS All Access, so you can swear. Uh, <laughs> you know, so there's that. But um she's angry at um his his hubris here that this is a guy who's been who from her perspective left starfleet left him at a very difficult time um had this interview where he said all this quote unquote bad stuff about uh starfleet and the federation and how they handled the other was you know 12 years ago what was it 12 years earlier and yeah. then, but this interview was just like, you know, a couple of days before. So it, it's almost as if it had been 12 years and he comes in with this. Yeah. That would have been difficult enough, but he just blew himself up. I mean, the whole time she's, even before they come to that, the, the, the hubris moment, she's like looking at him the whole time like, really? Really? <laughs> That's where she, he's used up all his capital, her not screaming at him. Just the minute he walks in the door. The, well, she's let him walk in the door. She took his meeting. Yeah, so. the, the the massive um, uh, Rebecca saying uh, Picard deserved what she dished out. And I completely agree with you, Rebecca. He was being ridiculously arrogant. Um, he was he had no idea of the privilege in his mind that he thought, well, I'm I'm. Captain Picard, I could just kind of, they, they'll just give me a ship, right? Even though I like surrendered my commission and I resigned. Don't you uh, know who I am? Yeah, 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 exactly. So anger there is so called for. And anger is one of those things that um, it, it can completely take us out of our daily routine. 
It can snap us into action. And a lot of times that's for the person who's getting angry and the person who ex- who is the target of that anger. It can be a very effective way of communicating that you've crossed a line here. This is not okay. If she just calmly said, no, Picard, I'm not going to give you that. It wasn't going to impact him the way it did. You know, request denied. Request denied. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's um, that's a wonderful example uh, from a recent show. But I also want to go back to um, there's we had Larry. We had a lot of examples from Deep Space Nine, uh, not just O'Brien, but we've got going back to the beginning. Well, if you live in the dark and the grit your whole life, then yes, it's the darker, grittier (laughs) show. (laughs) Um, We have Cisco and Picard and how angry Cisco is at uh, Picard, blaming him, blaming Locutus for Wolf 359, for the destruction of his ship, of his wife, um, for his wife's death. We also see um, there's this wonderful episode. Um, uh, remind me again of this. Um, it's A Man Alone when uh, Odo is falsely accused of murder. And you basically have a yes. lynch mob there, not to yes. go into the racial aspect, but you've got a mob that wants to ride out of the gate. It's such a reinforcement of the original frontier you know, it's um, the fort on the frontier. It's it's uh, whatever it is. And and you've got the lynch mob coming to, to the sheriff's office to grab, you know, the person out of, you know, he cattle rustler or whatever. And uh, they and Cisco even fires in the air, which is hysterical to uh, settle the mob down. But you have that that, you know, the part of this topic about anger. And we talked about it was we, we think about individuals being angry for individual reasons, but the really ugly thing and the thing that relates a lot to today again in a lot of ways and in the past is I, I said mob anger, but like group anger, you yes. know, multi – like because it's a different – it's the same outcome, but it's a different dynamic and obviously has different repercussions, plays out on a bigger field. But that's a case of mob uh, – of a mob, angry mob and why are they – and it's out of – what is that out of fear? I mean, you know, we can talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of mobs, there's um, there's that episode from The Next Generation um, in which uh, Data is... Um, thine own self. Thine own self, where Data's sort of on this planet um, and trying to figure out what the heck's going on. His memories are sort of compromised. And um, over the course of the episode, he's trying to solve... The, uh, the the cause of this problem that's infecting everyone, but the um, the people on the planet blame him for it, which he is in some way responsible for, too, um, if I'm remembering yes, that episode correctly. Yeah. But we see how um, that's a great example of what you're talking about, Larry, about how, um, how anger can quickly mobilize a group of people. It gets back to what I just said a moment ago. Anger is one of the fastest ways to to break people out out of their routine. Anger has been shown to be the best way to get out the vote. Getting people upset and mad and outraged is the quickest way to get them to break yes. their routine and get them to do something. And it can be tracked and or even manipulated. Yes. We might say positively or negatively. You yes. might stampede people to the polls out of fear and anger. Yeah, with maybe fear animating the anger, but um, and who you, you know, vote something for? Something that's perceived as negative or something that's perceived as positive. You know, it's like either here's a disease 
that we need to stamp out or here's a cancer that needs to be cut out. I mean, yeah, we saw that with the uh, the protests in Michigan where people were protesting the shelter in place um, orders <laughs> and, and the shutdown of the economy. Um, we and this gets to political anger and political um, outrage over injustices, which I think one of the best storylines that features this is um, the Maquis. Um, mm. We can look at this from the Deep Space Nine episode, The Maquis, and we can also think about it in larger terms as the storyline, The Maquis, um, mm. and what happens with The Maquis. Um, in, in that Deep Space Nine two-parter, we see um, Captain Sisko. Uh, actually, he's commander at that time. He's still Commander Sisko. And his, his old colleague, uh, Lieutenant Commander Calvin Hudson, they reunite but over the course of the two-parter, you realize that Hudson has actually aligned himself with the Maquis. And you see, you see anger play out really beautifully between these two characters who know each other and are friends and colleagues. And Cisco's outrage over Hudson leaving behind his duty to Starfleet and betraying Starfleet. So again, we have um, outrage over injustice um cisco's goals are being blocked he was there to kind of like um address this maquis situation and his closest friend has in his mind betrayed him betrayed him betrayed the federation betrayed his badge you know the whole yeah and flip it from his perspective the maquis are outraged because of these nego- negotiations that the Federation has had with the Cardassians, they feel left behind that their they're being um, their settlements are being turned over for, to the Cardassians, and the Federation doesn't care about them. Um, this is one of those things that um, gets to this idea of a of a sacred value. That's those are things that uh, people feel like they can't they can't negotiate on. Um, sacred values can be religious, but they also can be very secular. Like um, in the United States, freedom of speech is often seen as a sacred value, uh, that this is something we can't compromise on. And um, land, for uh, throughout history, land and where you live has often been a sacred thing that people will they'll give up their lives to defend their land. And we see that with the Maquis. Um, so... I don't think you and I have ever really had this debate, like who's right, the Maquis or the Federation. <laughs> um, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for it. But we see outrage as it relates to injustices play out so well with that episode. And then later with Eddington and Cisco's feud and revenge um, with uh, that storyline with Eddington as well in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it's... it's um... Well, it's amazing. This could almost be a K3 factor when we deep dive. But uh, the whole Maquis storyline, in in you think of DS9, you think of all these episodes, and even the last of Next Generation, too. You see the the roots of it, and then Preemptive Strike with Roe when she leaves to go join the Maquis. But the whole reason the Maquis existed was to give Voyager a little more drama. <laughs> they were like, what are we going to do? So then they make up this thing about the Maquis, and that's what Voyager was doing, and that's what creates the, – that'll, that'll be the running tension on the ship, which immediately is vanillaized, right? But originally it was going, well, this is how we'll have some internal turmoil versus what we encounter you know, week to week, planet to planet. And so they decide, well, let's build it up. 
look, we've got this luxury. We have the timing here. We'll use the end of next gen and DS9 to build up this mucky storyline. And then it totally, it's, you know, Ira and Michael are like, oh, well, if we're going to do it, it's not going to be like a one and done. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. Let's embed it in the fabric of the show, the tapestry of the plot, if you would. So it's amazing. I mean, when people talk go. about now the whole Maki experience and the arc, and they probably don't talk about it as much as they ought to. But it's only there. I just did just do a K3, an official one. It's only there <laughs> to give Voyagers some more, some more um, texture, which is immediately like papered over. So yeah. it's like, yeah. what a waste. It got much more, in other words, it got much more love and attention and dramatic mining on DS9 than it ever yeah, did on Voyager. I know. And it was I know. Yeah. Um, but they got cool little separate pips on Voyager, so it's all good. <laughs> that's one of the great tragedies of of that Maquis storyline and something that, that uh, used to make me upset. Um, but, you know, not so much anymore. Um, there's uh, We can go even more... Um, we could jump around the timeline even more, Larry. Speaking of political outrage, um, Star Trek Nemesis, I think, is a good example of this, where um, oh, yes. Shinzon, um, Shinzon has has grown up on Remus um, with the Remins. This um, this largely, um, I, I don't know if I can call them a, a slave class, but they are this. Uh, minority um, underclass, definitely. You know, yeah, but... they don't have power, and they do all of the grunt work. They don't have equal rights. We've never even seen them until Star Trek Nemesis, which kind of shows you how dis how much disregard the Romulans really have for the Remans. And Shinzon is pissed. He is angry. And that anger gets used in a way that is uh, focused more on revenge, um, and um, you know it goes well, into. You could even say he was he. You could even say that he was personally angry and vengeful because he'd been thrown away. He was yes. a clone experiment that was just like, oh, here's a, you know, let's just throw the petri dish bacteria out the window here in the trash, and he's angry, but he's ambitious. And he's channeled. He, it's you know, does he sympath? Does he actually sympathize with the Raymonds, or are they just a tool for his power? You know, yeah. are they his army that he collects? I mean, he's yeah. going to do right by them, and he, and you know, and his viceroy is is Raymond. But it's it's a it's a thing there of how much he's really committed to their cause, or how much are they his cannon fodder to assume control? Because the minute he finally gets control, we don't get you know <laughs> things don't go well very quickly, but. Yeah. Uh, well, and and you know, Robert saying he can certainly is... hijack their anger and use and utilize their anger in being a repressed minority and an underclass, and and channel that you know and tap that energy. And there's uh, certainly energy there. Yeah, you know, Robert saying Shinzon is angry, cold, and calculating. And um, the idea that's most interesting to me at the heart of Star Trek Nemesis is Shinzon is Picard. Shinzon has the same great noble Picard blood flows through my veins. I, I, I don't know if that's the line. It's something like that. Um, so there's there's a, a first Ali impression for you of, of the show. Um, but but the idea there is is quite no. interesting to me that um, had Jean-Luc lived the life of Shinzon, um, he would be taking the same actions as well. Um, and one of the things to tie into there, uh, this gets back to Belana Torres, 
um, your temperament, how intensely you feel certain emotions is is very much impacted by your biology. Like the range of intensity that you experience certain emotions, both positive as in terms of joy, but also things like anxiety and anger. A lot of that is wired within you. And then um, if you live a life that is far more traumatic as, as Shinzon did, um, you, you're probably going to be living at the upper end of intensity of of the range that you're genetically inherited whereas Jean-Luc lived a very different life and while he's experienced traumatic things there were largely as an adult or right after he was out of the academy so he's at a very different trajectory than than Shinzon so it's it's nature and nurture are both at fault there and we see that in Star Trek Nemesis despite mm-hmm. what people think about that movie um can I can I do a shout out here? Uh, Jason Stoltz has another case because you know I'm always thinking equal opportunity across Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, starting with the series, and I this occurred to me last night when I was gathering images, but also, um, Jason says Jason Stoltz says Archer was angry for much of Enterprise, especially after the yeah. threat to Earth. But I would say he was on a low boil anger up right out of the gate about the Vulcans. Yeah. And it yeah. was there, and then to have that opportunity present itself of taking the Klingon back to Kronos and having the Vulcans step in. One, I mean, it's it's new to us, but in in Star Trek years, measured in your years, uh, it had been, it was ongoing over and over and over again. And he he was living it for his father that it had his warp five engine plans throttled and slowed down, and his father didn't live to see right. his engine right. So he's carrying a lot of a little family anger there too, as well as. <laughs> his own, but you see it boil over a little bit, and he's respectful, he plays his rank, but he pops off, you know, with an admiral and a bunch of ambassadors in the room, way more than an, uh, a, a green captain might, not a green captain, but captain's got no clout yet, and no reservoir. And then, yes, the the uh, the Zindi year really uncorks it, because he's he's got the weight of the earth, he's got the survival of earth, he thinks, yeah. on his shoulders, and does some very, you know, the whole kick him out the airlock you know, come around moment there, how far he descends and what he's pushed to, you know, but then he's got the weight of the earth. He's got the weight of the franchise when they've been threatened with cancellation. (laughs) He's got a lot on his shoulders. The weight of the franchise. I'm sure that's what Archer was thinking. I better get this right. Otherwise, uh, my character's a goner. Um, Freaking UPN. That's what he's thinking. (laughs) There's a lot of anger there, too. Um, That's um, that's a textbook. It's a textbook example, Larry, because it um, it gets to that um, one of the ways and reasons why we experience anger, which is a blocked goal. And so their goal at that time, the Terran's goal is to get out there, to explore, to use warp drive. And Archer, as well as many other humans, really feel like the Vulcans are blocking that goal. Um, so that's that's a, that's a wonderful example of that. Uh, Robert mentioned that could Shinzon be a representation of a prisoner unjustly incarcerated in today's prison system? And I think that's, uh, Robert, you're getting at a really great idea here, which is how these different systems might lead people to experience some of the things that happen in their life. I think that's a great example. And Dan mentions Shinzon to me is a bit like Kral, woefully underwritten antagonist. I, I agree with you, Dan. And that, that brings us to Star Trek Beyond and, um, and Kral. Um, and we've got a character who's, who's really angry. Yeah. And I think for Kral, 
what was his uh, human name, Larry? Do you remember his uh, name? Edison. Edison. Edison, right. Um, Edison, uh, what we see happening with his character is a huge loss in status. And that's another one of the things that can lead people to anger and outrage is when they feel like their status has really been um, reduced or compromised in some way. And we see we see what happens with that anger and, and he sort of gets warped using the technology that he uses. Um, if only, Ali, if only we could take every clinically ang- over hyper angry person and just encase them in a new makeup job. So we can more easily identify. <laughs> uh, I wish, I wish um, Idris Elba got a chance to act more without any makeup. He's such an amazing actor, and I mm-hmm. wish we had more of that in Star Trek Beyond. Um, lots, lots more examples we could go through here, Larry. Um, should we dive into the counselor's log here? I'm s- I'm sorry. I thought I'd been swimming through it here for the last few minutes. We've been swimming in and out. (laughs) We've been going, um, we've been going in and out, but let's dive into the counselor's log. This is where I do a little bit deeper dive into some of the themes that we're, um, talking about today. And, you know, I talked a lot about anger and why we experience anger, (laughs) how it's, um, a normal emotion. And, you know, the thing about anger, Larry, uh, what I mentioned before is a lot of times we have such strong feelings about it, about um, it should be suppressed or um, that anger helps you and it can get you what you want. Um, I would argue that a lot of people who have experienced that have experienced a lot of benefits to anger might not be so aware of that belief, but maybe they they just know that if they say and do these things that it, that it is helpful for them. Um uh, just speaking from my own history, I've been, I've kind of historically been the guy who, um, if I don't get what I'm supposed to, I just, I don't want to say anything about it. So if I get something at a store and it like quickly breaks or if it's not what I wanted, it's historically been hard for me to go make that return because I feel bad about it. Whereas my wife is so good at being assertive that like if something doesn't happen, she's so good at um, expressing anger in a healthy way to ameliorate the situation. You know, she so, always asks for the manager. She's she will. Because um, I know no one is go not there. Karen. She's obviously not a Karen. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. She will um she'll go there if if needed to, but she often doesn't need to cuz she's so good at at being assertive. And assertive assertiveness is different than anger. Um yes. but you need to be a little upset in order to be able to express it. And motive into yes. Yes. Have, yes. Yeah, and and so um anger also, social it's almost like if you've got an angry population that's justifiably, that's righteously justified in being anger, uh, it's the difference between rioting revolution and voting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, as, it's... And as an individual, it's like, now what's my choice? It's going to be, do I go shoot the manager or do I come in and and <laughs> silver tongue my way into getting what I want? Yeah, Scott's mentioning um, my husband is far better at confrontation than I am. He comes across as far more cool and approachable than um, I do. And Scott, for me, I've experienced something similar. For me, historically, it's been a fear of losing control. 
that's what I associate with anger, that I don't want to lose control. I'm, I'm more like Sarek and Spock in that in that way. And um, the first part about anger is, is really recognizing that it is a normal emotion. We need it in certain situations. And we kind of have to understand, like, what are, what are, um, what beliefs do we have about anger? And historically for me, it's been, this is something that you should not express and experience and you need to bury and you might lose control. Anger is just bad overall. Exactly. Exactly. And Larry, that's led me time and again to, um, uh, not get what I deserve in certain situations. Or, which is equally bad. Which is equally bad. Yes. Not only, and not only do you not at least try to fulfill what you think you're owed, but now it's been – I mean the, the downside, it's like what's worse, exploding in the moment. Well, no one needs to explode because that's going to be uh, not helpful. But the even worse is the – what do they – do they still call it stuffing when you just keep everything down and everything down? And <laughs> I don't know if we've ever called it stuffing, Larry. <laughs> no, I mean when you stuff your emotions inside. Um, I, I think historically – uh, therapists have called it repressing. Um, okay, repressing, but I okay yeah, stuffing. You're just thinking about Star Trek Six: Undiscovered Country and the mashed I, potatoes again. <laughs> I guess, I guess so. No, I'm, but yes, re- repressing is the more clinical word. But people that stuff their emotions and don't let them out, and after a while, you've packed your cavity so far that it's going to be a short fuse, and you and you blow up. And that's that's. I don't do that. Maybe once or twice that's happened. But I'm I'm the same way. I'm a nice guy. Who goes along? But I remember some of the advice that Rene Echevarria gave me when I was first in L.A. He said, uh, "He said, Larry, you've got a great, you've got that nice Oklahoma Midwestern attitude, but they will eat you alive and run you over here in L.A. if you don't." <laughs> <laughs> so then it, it's like the okay, here's here I am smiling and being happy and friendly, but I'm smiling with my armor on. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, yeah. so it, that that that's the kind of thing I think about with uh, with Nuan, your wife. You're talking yeah. about how she. You know, but there's times when if, you know, I think if we're in, just in a personal thing in a moment, despite our training or our skill set or whatever it is, there's times when you just people lose their patience in the moment. Yes. And yes. you think I'm totally I, you know, I, this this whole meme about the Karens and the self entitlement, however it plays out, maybe if because it's like a, it's a what's the word there? Uh, it's almost not psychotic. What am I say? Sociopathic. No. I don't really, I don't want to use the buzzwords too loosely there, but people that think they're entitled all the time and don't have a filter. And there's lots of times I may be mad at myself about something and I let it go. But you know those times when you genuinely know that you're, you are, I hate to say entitled, but something is due you and sure. the system or a person, you're talking about being blocked, yeah. either a person or a chain of command or whatever, a response, or something has gotten in your way and you really feel like it. And sometimes it's a, Sometimes it's, you know, it's a thousand dollars you're owed. Sometimes it's just that little nod that somebody sees to say, I'm sorry, you're right. You know, it may not have anything attached to it. And either one of those can be equally. In fact, the little tiny thing can be the thing that's in the right time or the wrong time could be the thing that causes the blow up. But those times when you go and go and go and go and go and go and something in your mind clicks and says, all right, by God, not this time. You know, yeah, but the, then, but you come across as the guy that blows up all the time to people that don't know you. So, you know, this is why anger is so complicated, and why I think people have such strong feelings about it. Um, and for me, 
because I've been so fearful of anger for much of my life, it's led me to not get what I deserve in certain situations. Like I'll, you know, I'll, I'll buy the wrong thing and then be too afraid to return it um, because I, I don't want to get upset. Um, or um, I become passive aggressive. So maybe um, my roommate in college has um, stayed up really late and it kept me up. And I'm, I'm boiling inside, but I don't say anything. But I start to be really mean to him in other ways. So uh, anger is one of those things where um, for some people, it's not so much like anxiety where um, there's a, a clear path forward on how to deal with it or sadness where there's a clear path forward with anger. For some people, we want to help some people to experience more of it because they're um, they're too repressed. Be- exactly. And for some people, we want to help them to experience less of it because it's so intense for them that it might lead them to get into into more problems um, or it might lead them to become aggressive or violent and hurt themselves or hurt someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're if you get so angry that you punch a wall and you break your hand, that's a problem. Or if you get so angry that you're out driving and you're a danger to other people, that's a problem too. So anger, we're going to talk about when we get to um, the away mission, how to deal with it. But I, I want to touch on on uh, revenge for a second, Larry, because the oh. research on revenge is so interesting. Hold on. I've got a dish of it in the fridge. Let me come back in. <laughs> I've heard this Klingon uh, proverb uh, that it's uh, it's a dish best served cold. <laughs> my fa- One of my favorite moments in a movie theater is when I was watching Kill Bill, and it sort of starts with that old Klingon pop proverb. <laughs> I, I love and you wonder, even 10, 15 years ago, how much the audience was going, what? I mean, I would love to have done a demo, you know, a snap poll right then. Do you understand the reference to this line? And just to see what the average, like, late 90s or early aughts audience was. Um, yes, yes, yes. So let, let's let's talk about anger. Uh, I'm sorry, not anger, but look, revenge for a moment. You know, um, people, uh, there's a lot don't of reasons. Little, don't break your little ships, though. <laughs> Watch it. This far and no farther. Yeah. I will make them pay for what they did to me, which was, I think, cut from the, <laughs> the scene that they used. Um, so uh, getting back to revenge, um, there are some people who are who are more prone to experiencing revenge, just like some people are more prone to experiencing anger. But what's what's really interesting is how culture fits into this. Larry, you were talking about um, the way you grew up, how that influenced the way you experience anger, like smiling, but inside you might want to punch me. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, I, I I'm a Californian who lived in New York for a decade and now just moved back to California, I was experiencing a much higher level of assertiveness and at times anger living in New York than I do in California. And like culture is a big part of that. And culture highly is related to revenge as well. For the most part, when Mm -hmm. people take the path of revenge, for the most part, it comes at a price. And um, you're a bit more likely to struggle with 
thoughts and um, get stuck with what happened and kind of let it fester. Even if you get that revenge, a lot of times you're still going to struggle with memories and keep thinking about what happened and kind of churning it in your mind over and over. However, there's an exception to that. And it seems like if you're in a culture or environment where you don't have any other recourse there is no other way to get justice like the criminal system is a sham or um, no one is prosecuting or enforcing the rules that they should be or you're a marginalized person and have no recourse in that context Revenge might be the only way for you to get justice. So revenge seems to be this complicated thing where for most people, pursuing justice is a much better path. However, if you can't pursue justice, Mm -hmm. it seems like psychologically revenge will help you to deal with all the anger that's going on in your mind. So it's a super complicated topic. Uh, And I just... I'm. And I've t- taken my eye off the chat, so we've been going on for a long time. But I do want to—I saw a new name this week, um, and I want to give a shout out to him because he just said basically what we've talked about. But hi, Jason. Uh, Jason Fritz said he was talking about how anger is normal and healthy and natural. It's—it's it's when it's inappropriately expressed to an extreme. But and this is a ways back. But I just wanted to say yes, we've got a smart crowd out here. But and and also to say that. Um, I haven't. We've gotten all wrapped up. This is the time of the show. It seems like this always happens. We get all into our discussion for some reason, like we're hosts or something, and we're not paying <laughs> attention to the chat. But uh, we are. We are reading it. Um, and then, and then Clayton George says, "Or if you go full on Karen, you'll at least get on YouTube and be made fun of." Um, <laughs> Ro- Rebecca's. Um, Rebecca brought up a great question or a comment. Um, I hope revenge is something we grow out of as we get older. There is some evidence that um, you, for a few different reasons, um, the intensity of your emotions does get less intense as you get older. So one of those, that happens in your early 20s, your frontal lobe, this part of your brain right over here behind your forehead, it finishes developing and it's the part of your brain that plans for the future. It organizes your thoughts and emotions. It also presses the brakes on your emotions and that finishes developing in your 20s. So you do get more, a a better control over yourself in your 20s. Um, And then um, as you continue to age, um, just in general, people experience less intense emotions. There's exceptions to that. Lots of things can change that. Uh, a brain injury can change that. Dementia can change that. Um, heavy use of substances can sometimes change that. But in general, people do get less intense as they get older. Um, and then there was another, um, Tim mentioned uh, Network, 1968. So I'm mad as yeah. hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. You have to do your hand like this. You have to have your hand like um, Wonderful movie that um, uh, I think there was Brian Cranston, I think, recently did a play on on Broadway um, uh, about network. A wonderful movie if people want to check it out. Um, uh, Zaheer is mentioning I Don't Chill. Um, Zaheer, is that for some reason, I feel like that's a Star Trek reference. Is that is that a Star Trek reference? I missed. What was it? I'm I'm catching up. Oh, I'm or maybe it's he's referencing he's out of coffee. I don't know. But Zaheer, I hope you get some uh, 
uh, I hope you get some uh, uh, coffee there. Um, and on Twitch, um, only here uh, says, I swear I just saw your beard grow. Uh, maybe. Um, maybe I squeezed it out a few centimeters. I hope, uh, I hope you didn't make him angry about it. <laughs> um, Larry, um, I'm going to talk more about what to do with emotions when we get to the away mission. Um, yeah. I'd love to jump into the K3 factor. Um, this is our part of the show where we might be referencing some kind of deep cut or something that maybe people haven't um, noticed before. Um, what's what's our K3 for today? Well, Larry? our K3 this week is, uh, and again, that's a reference back to the only reference we can find in the original series. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, for uh, for mental health, aside from a psychotric order. Um, it's right there on the biobed monitor. No, this is a very short and sweet one because I gave you a bonus already. You got a freebie K3 factor. No, we've been talking. Uh, I want to go back to thine own self and um, and the angry mob in that. And the reason that that feels like a comfortable meme, that, that show was – it's like that show had a lot of heart to it. But I don't know. It, it wasn't the case where the, the costumes weren't you know, like racist African tribes, but maybe they were still a little on the nose. Um well, the, that whole story was conceived by a freelancer named Christopher Hatton, who also had the initial story idea for um, for uh, Gambit, I think. Anyway. Oh, um, I love Gambit. I love that episode. Wait, wait. No, sorry. I was thinking of Starship Vibe. Never mind. Not a huge fan of Gambit. Sorry. <laughs> space Pirates. Gene said no Space Pirate story, and they finally did a Space Pirate story. <laughs> I'm beefing up this K3. No, K3 Factor the angry it was literally at the end of thine own self and yes data has lost his memory and he was transporting some radioactive material and he doesn't know what he is he feels like he's human and he's gradually figuring out that he's not but um well not human but whatever that humanoid race is yeah whatever they're barconians from barcon 4 what do you Ah, mean there you go are you you dismissing a whole planet there how (laughs) how planetist of you No, so this this culture, they they're dying. Their water's poisoned. They're getting radiation sickness, and but it's like a late Middle Ages culture. They don't have a, a really advanced scientist, except they've got one or two scientists who think they're scientists, and they're running around spouting, right. oh, you know, wacky doodle, uh, observed but not tested, hypothesized. Right. Anyway, they have no clue, and but she's pronouncing, you know, um, cures. But the bottom line to this is, if it feels quasi. It's not on the nose, totally, but it feels quasi. Basically, Chris Hatton, this freelance writer, pitched it as Data as Frankenstein. Hmm. So it's like, what if Data, with all of his ability and technology, well, he would be unleashed if he was either overtaken, which is an old trope, you know, we've done that. So what if he's unaware, so the whole memory loss thing is just a way to get at Data being Data in a benign way, and not but not knowing who he is. So he can't help the people that don't know who he is. But he's actually doing something to harm those around him. So it's the whole thing is a data in the little girl, data right. with the scientist, data. He's not a creation, but, you know, data, you know, and then in the end, when he's discovered to be a monster, you know, the locals, I mean, it's almost pitchforks and right. torches. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know that that was the, the high but concept the whole, pitch. The whole pitch line for that was data as Frankenstein. I, I, I love that because, number one, that shows to how TV shows and um, films are often pitched. You know, um, uh, Jurassic Park is Jaws on land. Uh, you know, um, 
speed is die hard on a bus like a lot of times that's how um stories are pitched so i didn't know that and now i totally see that and what i love about that is it's, it's star trek into darkness is jason Bourne in star wars it's uh <laughs> Gosh, that's a good one, Larry. Um, I haven't heard that one before. I love it. Um, it's a five-minute combat piece on a moving uh, shuttle, open top, open shuttle. But all the time. here's my own K3. Um, uh, Michael Giacchino is doing the Amok Times um, score uh, there. Oh, I, I do love that that uh, callback to Amok Time. Anyways, I had a point. Oh, look, someone in the chat is saying, does impersonating an orchestra count for the drinking game? That's what... Yeah, yeah, we'll, 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 let, you, we'll let you determine uh, hey, the yeah. answer to that. Um, the, um, the thing I like about that, uh, that high-concept um, uh, analogy right there is it's linking Star Trek to one of the oldest science fiction stories. Some might argue the original science oh. fiction story of, mm-hmm. of Frankenstein. Yeah. So uh, yeah. that's that's Shall very I? cool, Larry. I did not know that. Simple and sweet, I told you. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, Larry, I'm going to post this question to you um, or to us. Um, I've been Dan asks, um, I've been trying to think if there's any Star Trek equivalents of the meltdown anger fits associated with autism. And Zaheer is following up. Dan, that's a good question. I can only think of uh, the three augments in augments in DS9, the three augments processing information and emotions differently than most people. Uh, yeah, they they were like they weren't eugenics war augments, but the but Bashir's bunch, I call them. You know, oh, Patrick, oh, 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 right, yes. right, 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 right. I yeah, forgot. Right. Uh, see here, I can't believe it. They are augments. Like I, um, I, right. I, that's like a. They're like retroactive. They're just not. They're just not running around the galaxy trying to conquer worlds. Augments. Right. They're, right. 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 You know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, this is a, a really great question and, augments um, with problems or something. Um, let's Augments with disabilities. Let's use this as a temporary step back into the counselor's log. Let's go back in time a little bit. I know, Larry, it's Star Trek. The timelines, okay. timelines all wibbly wobbly anyways. Um, so I often use Data as an example of um, a character who has aspects of the autism spectrum, and um, one analysis is data driven. (sighs) That uh, I'll let that pass, Larry. That was uh, (laughs) that was beneath me. Yes, that was that was. you know, if if some of your other puns are are at warp speed, that one was definitely going at impulse. Um, okay. But <laughs> half speed, quarter speed, we can get this Hulk moving. We can do something. I mean, okay. you weren't at thrusters. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> Station keeping. Okay. <laughs> I often talk about data as an analogy to um, aspects of the autism spectrum, and one way to think about the autism spectrum is um, people who are just wired um, a little bit differently. People who are wired less towards social, verbal um, information, uh, but people who are more wired to um, visual um, information and also pattern information. Mm. So people who are more on the autism spectrum, yeah, they have a harder time 
with unstructured social situations and understanding them in much the same way that data is often trying to understand social interactions um, and does much better in a structured social situation where um, he knows what to expect. Um, and data does quite well at understanding patterns, logical patterns that other people might not see as much as someone does in the autism spectrum. But until Dan mentioned it right now and until Zahir's follow-up, I never really um, thought of how data doesn't really show us some of the, um, um, the intense emotions that can come with being on the autism spectrum and living in a world that often assumes neurotypical behavior. The world is... Uh, most of the world is uh, is just assumes that you're not on the autism spectrum, which at times can be so frustrating if you are, because your strengths are so different than how the world is wired. So I think Zahir's example of um, the augments that uh, Bashir is working with, um, do they have a name, Larry? Like, do they have a name for their group? Do they end up like naming themselves anything? I, I don't remember. I, Maybe I'm making that. I was going to say that. I, yeah, I just always think of them as Bashir's bunch or something. Yeah. But no, yeah. We we do see some of that frustration that um, people on the autism spectrum can experience mm-hmm. at how the world does not recognize their strengths and um, is wired in, in, in such a different way. So Zaheer, I really, really like that example. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. And Dan, thanks for that uh, question as well. Uh, Bashir's Bunch. Love it, Larry. <laughs> Rebecca's following up. The Bashir's Bunch. Is that like the Brady Bunch? Um, I would watch that show. The Bashir Bunch. The Bashir Bunch. That's the way we became Bashir's Bunch. That's the stupidest series I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, do we just have a two-part impression there, a back-to-back? I don't know. I was doing Admiral Patrick. You know, his his standard line was, you know, that's the stupidest question I've ever heard. You know, that's how he would get out of faking his way being an admiral. He would just yell at people. Um, yeah. Jared is uh, is uh, knocking me for my Doctor Who reference. Jared, I know you're a Whovian, and um, I know you're playing with me. And if anyone hasn't seen the Doctor Who Star Trek uh, comic crossover, it is fantastic. Oh. You need to go. If you're a Whovian and um, a Trekkie, Go read that. Um, Larry, I don't know if you are a fan of Doctor Who. If you Have you read that comic? I, no, I haven't read the comic. I, oh. I'm, not, I'm, a ca- I'm a casual fan of Doctor Who. I can fake my way when I go to Galaxy. <laughs> I fake my way. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Um, I know, Rose. I know Wibbly Wobbly is from Doctor Who. I know, folks. I just love that line. But if you if you are a Doctor Who fan, um, the Doctor Who... Timey Wimey Wibbly Wobbly. Okay, whatever. Timey Wimey Wibbly Wobbly is is the line. See, Uh, I knew that. I knew that. I I can sit on the internet all day and watch memes go by. I know the whole franchise. (laughs) Um, The thing about... um, the thing about that crossover that I love is it has um, it has a later doctor with the Next Generation crew, and there's a flashback 
to an earlier doctor with the original series crew. So it it and it's got the Borg, it's got the Cybermen. It's 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 wonderful. So because of course Borg and Cybermen are uh, they totally go together. So um let's go let's go I to always our wanted to have you know I have to real quick. I've tell you my ultimate who crossover that I've wanted to see for years and years. I wanted to have the Borg and the Daleks. Oh for, yeah. And oh, I wonder yeah. that like rolling down the corridor going, assimilate, assimilate, assimilate. Okay, anyway. You will be assimilated. <laughs> As you were. Destroy. Okay. Um, <laughs> a lot, a lot of impressions today. Uh, I apologize, folks. Um, we've had way too much coffee. And my impression is we should move along. Okay. <laughs> I'm still uh, catching up on the chat. There's a lot of good comments here. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't mention all of these, but they're all good. There's also comments like Robert's. Uh, sorry, Doc. Keep your day job. Uh, good, good to know, Robert. All right. So the counselor, uh, not the counselor's log. I'm sorry. The away mission here. Um, what are we so doing? this is the part of the show where I give you all something practical that you can use to apply um, the things that we're talking about to your own life so because i don't know if you've looked around lately dr ali but it's an angry world out there yeah it um it it really is people are pissed um so let's talk about this um they're pissed about being pissed uh, yeah yeah, and uh, speaking about pissed about being pissed um we got a great comment um heidi had a wonderful comment that i want to pull up um do, 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 almost there okay Heidi said even though I know anger is natural and healthy and important to accept I am one of those people who uh, want to uh, fit myself into a little mouse hole in a wall when people get pretty angry and so Heidi you're you're bringing up a part of anger we haven't really talked about yet which is the consequences of it and um, if you've a lot of people are afraid of other people getting angry for a variety of reasons. Maybe you had a difficult experience in your past where you might have been attacked in some way. Maybe you grew up in a home where a lot of anger was expressed. Maybe you, you've experienced trauma and you're wired to be what's called hypervigilant. Your guard is up. Your shields are often on. You're walking through the world on yellow alert most of the time. Um, your your sensors are turned up all the way, looking for danger. I can go on and on. I'll, I'll That's stay. two. Can we get a third Trek reference? <laughs> I think three. I got shields, I got yellow alert, and I got sensors. Uh, oh, you did a, get okay. Yeah, I'll give you a fourth. You want a fourth? It, it's like sure. you're all, you feel like you're always near the neutral zone and something bad might happen. Um, wow, I, I never knew I had such uh, so many analogies star trek analogies. it's almost as if your eps conduits are near the red line or something yeah your bioneural gel packs are always infected by cheese (laughs) i'll stop i'll stop with that one um but um that's something we haven't talked about larry which is the fear of anger and especially if you've had experience where Mm -hmm. um uh, you've been the target of anger and it, it hasn't gone well and you might feel unsafe. Um, and I, thank you, Heidi, for bringing up that perspective here. So with all of that, the away mission that I want to dive into today is how do we deal with anger? So, Larry, what do you think? What's the number one stereotype that people hear about anger? If you're angry, you should go and do what? What what go, always comes up? Therapy. You should. Uh, uh, I hope so. But anger management. I don't know. What do you mean? Well, like, um, have you ever heard like go punch a pillow? Um, oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is 
one of the worst things to do when you're angry. And it's 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 this um, <clears throat> idea that still is in our culture. This like idea of venting your anger um, and that in some way it's going to drain your anger and you're going to feel better. And it does Wait, that's not, not the work. thing to do. Oh, no, okay. It fun. does not work. So what happens when you do something aggressive, when you're angry, is it actually revs up your body more. Your heart will start to beat faster. You will be breathing in harder. Um, when you break your little starships, you're going to get even more angry. And, um, and in that example with Picard... I think a lot is going on there. Picard has experienced trauma related to the Borg. He's having to face it. Um, Lily is kind of also stirring him up and has no idea that that's, that this is a, a, a triggering difficult issue for him. And, um, it pushes him to do something aggressive and he gets really pissed. And she saw that earlier too in the holodeck. Um, when he, um, the way he attacks his former officers who have been assimilated. So, um, getting aggressive, doing something like punching a pillow, um, things like that, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't vent your anger. It revs you up even more. So if you are someone who's experiencing intense anger and you want to experience less of it, the thing to do is actually distraction. And this is, this is something a lot of people often have a, a struggle to understand is when your emotions are getting too high, and it might get to a point where you could do something you might regret. Boil That's over. boil over. This is actually when you need distraction. So that might that might mean doing an activity that's going to create a new emotion. Watching funny videos on YouTube. My go-to uh, video when I'm really angry, Larry. It's um, it's this. It's the crystal light. 1984 like, aerobic championship. Uh, it's this ridiculous video where all these people are like dancing to this like super 80s. It's just, it cracks me up. Okay. Watching it. And um, I can't help but laugh. So we all need something that creates a different emotion for us an activity that gets us doing something else it's totally cool to do something that's physically active but not aggressive so um, going for a run going for a bike ride playing a sport things that kind of organize your body to take action that's fine but doing something aggressive that's not gonna that's not gonna work for you um, sometimes um, just getting physical distance when my wife and I get into an argument and by the way most of the time uh, my job is to help couples to have healthier arguments um, Mm -hmm. uh, not avoiding conflict is actually a very bad thing in yes. relationships. And when my wife and I have an argument, it's always the same thing, Larry. I need about 10 to 30 minutes to go into the other room and read news, watch video, um, do something stupid to cool down when I get too hot. And then mm -hmm. I usually come back and I'm able to have that rational conversation. But getting some space 
pushing it away. Um, sometimes what really helps with anger is very strong sensations. So holding an ice cube will kind of shock your nervous system into feeling something differently. Opening uh-huh. the freezer and just kind of sticking your head there for a moment. Um, smelling a, a strong candle. Um, having a, a, a strong cup of, of tea. Um, anything that's going to get you psychological distance, physical dis- distance. Um, it's going to create a different emotion for you. And just to repeat for everybody, you said stick your head in the freezer, not in the oven. Just Yes. Just so <laughs> Don't okay. do that. Don't do that. Just so we're clear. Um, Okay. Yeah, and um, lots lots of different um, examples are are coming up here in the comments section. Um, and so far, if, I'm chat. if you're if you're in the comments, please share what is your go to skill for calming your anger down, getting some distraction, getting some space when you're getting too hot. Um, let us know um, what what helps you there. But Larry, that's only for the people who are struggling with. Um, really intense anger when it's really high. There's also people who, as I mentioned earlier, they need to experience more anger. Right. Um, because they're kind Acknowledge of... Acknowledge it and channel it in a way yes. than, than stuffing. I'm sorry, repressing it. Yes. <laughs> Over there, it's, it's, a, it's a different story. And um, what, um, what's going to help there is to, number one, get get a better sense of what happens to you when you get angry. Like it was through my own therapist when I was in grad school that I began to understand that my go-to thing when I get angry is to push it down. So over time, I got better at understanding, oh, this is one of those times where I'm pushing it down. Uh Oh, what is it my therapist said? He said, express, don't repress. Um, He drilled that in me whenever it came to anger. And um, I followed this, uh, anger protocol is what I'm calling it. Mm-hmm. This is what I did, Larry. So, number one, um, know what are your signs of anger? And um, I'd love to know in the comments section, too, what's your go-to sign that you're angry? For me, Larry, it's I, I feel my fists clenching and I feel my heart racing. Mm. Um, and I feel my mind is saying, don't go there. Like, those are the signs. Mm. My heart is racing, I'm clenching my fist, and my mind is saying, push it away. Um, and then my like the image of my therapist from like 15 years ago pops up in my head. And he's like, express, don't repress. So I kind of have to do that. But um, so what are the signs for you that you're getting angry? Number two, um, if it's too much, then get some distance, like I mentioned before. Um, but number three, get, get, get some distance from the thing that's pissing you off. If you're experiencing too much anger, get some psychological distance from it, get some emotional distance, all that sort of stuff, right? But then get to a place where you can think about, um, does your anger fit the facts of the situation? So um, uh, many years ago, I was um, taking the subway home from uh, work when I lived in New York, and I got all this food and um, stuff for my wife. This is before I was a dad, and it was Friday, and I was really looking forward to um, seeing my wife and eating all this stuff. And someone on the subway bumped into me, and one of the containers, um, the food sort of spilled out, and it was kind of ruined. And I was enraged. I was so mad. 
And in my mind, I wanted to go talk off this guy or talk, you know, like yell at him and say, like, you know, how dare you do this? And so you got to ask yourself the question, does your anger fit the facts of the situation? And my anger was telling me this guy intentionally did it on purpose because he's an, you know, he's a he's a horrible prick, whatever it might be. He's but a did, random marauding weekend evening dessert ruiner person. Right, right. Like, okay, so beautiful. Like, when you put it <laughs> in that perspective, it doesn't make any sense at all, right? Um, and so I had to remind myself that, like, my anger doesn't fit the facts of the situation. Like, he probably didn't do that intentionally. So it was a very crowded it. subway. Yeah. Right, right. Yes. Um, and then... Let's say the anger does fit the facts of the situation. Then you got to ask yourself the next question. Will it help me to reach my goals if I act on the anger? Because sometimes it will. Like if you're outraged over an injustice and you're very angry and you want to do something about it and you want to like donate to an organization or you want to donate your time or you want to tell off someone, sometimes it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you reach your goals. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you might not be in a safe situation. Sometimes the other person might be a threat to you, to your life. Um, so think about that that process. Like, what does anger look like for you? Do you need to cool off right now? Do you need distraction? Does your anger fit the facts of the situation? And if it does, will it help you to act on it? And sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Yeah, I I just uh, saw another comment here as I'm madly trying to catch up in the chat. Uh, Heidi, once again, has another great Heidi Charlotte Hogyard. Hogyard. Uh, she says another thing about that autism spectrum and anger yeah. is, and this may apply to a lot of the rest of us, uh, is that emotions, sometimes we could be guilty of maybe being on the extreme ends and not living. I mean, we live in the middle most of the time, but when we start talking about getting to things not a, not being normal that just getting back to a normal state and uh, but what you're saying there is is uh, she's saying that autistic um, people who suffer with autism have trouble living in the normal to begin with so maybe doubling down on some of these strategies is is even more a thing but they're all they're good for all of us yeah yeah uh, what you're saying uh, uh, is getting back to a middle ground you're trying to rationalize i mean I was I was smiling to myself because sometimes in the moment when we are boiling, you're talking about analyzing. Will this will this affect my goals ultimately? Will this sabotage my own mission? I mean, yeah, people who are self sabotaging, if that's one of the ways they do it, they blow up. They don't achieve their goals because they can't. Does their anger fit the facts the way you right. said? Right. That's a whole rationalization process. That's the point. It's like they, they're not capable of being rational. In exactly. A, and you got to get to that. You got to get to that place. That's, totally. that's first degree murder. That's the whole thing of, you know, were you rational or were you in, you know, not mentally healthy or were you rational? Well, people do irrational things. There's that's the word. I mean, there's sometimes I sometimes I kind of cringe watching the legal system try to grapple with this and mm. apply it to jury verdicts because it's like, well, of course they weren't rational in the moment. Oh, they were temporary insanity. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Which, whether which it was I should say, or temporary insanity, you know, which I should say is, um, if you look at the research on that, it, it's rarely ever works in a courtroom is temporary insanity. Um, and that's a legal term. That's not a mental health term. But it's something that is shown all the time in TV shows. Um, but in real life, it 
ne- it very rarely ever flies. And, um, that's a great point, Larry and, and Heidi. Um, there's a treatment called dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, which is all about um, helping people to get to wise mind. So if you think of wise mind as being in the center and we got this Venn diagram and over here we got emotion mind where we're just like reacting to things that we're feeling immediately. And over here we have like rational mind. We're way too logical. We're way too Vulcan. So Bones is here. Um, Spock is here. We want to be in the center, which I, I would argue is more Kirk. Kirk is often the synthesis of Bones and Spock. Um, Kirk That's is a great often... analysis. I. It's uh... almost like they're a triumvirate or a triad. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. I've never thought of that in 55 years. <laughs> almost like uh, the pathos, egos, logos thing was, was sort of uh, planned there from beginning. I don't know um... what Trek fandom has been doing for 55 years, not talking about it that way. Well, you know, uh, people often portray Kirk as being emotional. Um, I really think he's the he's he's the beautiful integration of the two and a great example that speaks to what Heidi's Heidi's speaking to. Um, lots of great examples coming here um, from the comments section. Um, Robert is mentioning music is, is one of those things that helps uh, him to distance himself from his anger. And we talked about music in a previous episode, how it is this. Um, mind-altering, emotional-changing time machine. Um, so that's uh, I really like that example. Scott is talking about um, walking away from a situation is something that really helps him. Sometimes it just takes 10 minutes, sometimes an hour, but he gets to a place where he realizes life is short, it's not worth it, um, the day's being wasted, Let, let's end this thing. I, I like the way... Um, the way he's talking about it. Uh, Libby says, um, right now there's no one to distance from, which is part of the problem. Normally I'd go somewhere special, but I can't do that right now. That's a really great point, Libby. It's a lot of the ways in which we have to cope with these things are more limited now. So um, this is where I kind of tell people to, um, uh, to think of a holodeck. Like what's, what's something you can create in your home space that, does help you to go somewhere else. Um, and that might be, someone mentioned it earlier in, in the show, um, watching Star Trek is a, is a great way to yes. like get some distance yeah. here. Maybe watching something, maybe listening to music, maybe taking a bath, maybe taking a hot bath, or maybe taking a cold bath. Um, uh, sometimes taking a nap, <clears throat> just laying down in your bed, gets you distance. So what's something well, that's like- pretty low tech. Uh, there's yeah. one here from Jared. I'm looking way back. Uh, he said his best anger management tool is is the video game The Sims. Yeah, but yeah. What about video games and and recreational things like that? Is that too intellectually, you know, motor skill? I mean, look, some that... people it, it, it's all individual. Like some people to get. Well, I mean, to... if that's what works for you, works. Yeah, but I'm saying, for, I'm yeah. saying theoretically, you were talking about don't go punch a pillow. Is is video gaming? Is that enough intellectually, you know, it's flow, it's channeled to your brain, so it's going to be the same kind of... It depends on you and it depends on the game. So, for example, for some people... (laughs) The controller survives. Yeah, well, yeah, like, can you... Exactly, that's a good way to think about it. Um, For some people, um, a colleague of mine, we had a big debate about this. She said, my greatest tool at dealing with anger is my kickboxing class. And... um, it gives me 
a lot of um, it gets my energy out and it gives me it makes me feel empowered. And for some other people, kickboxing might be too aggressive and it drives their anger up. Same thing with video games, like what game you play. Um, for some people, it might rev them up too much. For some people, it gives them that outlet and psychological distance. So it kind of depends. Um, Larry, lots of great examples of anger, of how people experience it, which is the mm-hmm. first way of learning how to cope with it. Scott talks about heart racing and sometimes my fingers and toes get cold. Scott and I, we're, we're really mind melding here on the way we experience anger. So maybe we should hang out and talk about our things that make us upset because apparently we're very similar here. Rebecca says, I clench my jaw when I'm angry. Um, Robert says, I shut down. Um, beware the dog that does not wag its tail. Um, I, I really like that. Still waters run deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Livy, my sign I'm getting angry is I want to punch someone or something that's not socially acceptable. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, lots of great. We've examples. come so far on that realization. <laughs> Zahir, I'm more passive than I need to be because I avoid anger because I don't like the aggressive person I become. So, and, and that's where it is about getting to that wise mind, that integration of your emotions and your and your logic. Of, um, and that's what assertiveness really is when we're when something's gone wrong is how do we be um, have that integration of our logic and our emotions so we we are able to be assertive and in, in how, how we're not on the other end of the anger management right. scale right. how we how we follow Renee's advice to not let LA chew you up and spit you out. You know, yeah. how to stand your, how to, I hate to say stand your ground, how to get what you need without being obnoxious or, you know, what you're due and stand up for yourself, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, <clears throat> Dan's talking about that in the moment. Be, I think that can be, be as challenging as, as calming your rage. Once, yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. Dan has a great example here. I think it'd be difficult to see the wood from the trees. 100%. You know, it's um, that gets back to my example of being on the subway is I only was fixated on this person who uh, who I thought was targeting me when I lost sight of the fact that we're in a very crowded subway at a rush hour and everyone's just trying to get home and get out of those uh, warm, stinky uh, subway cars. Um, uh, so lots of really great, um, great examples are coming <laughs> uh, here. Stelios from Europe, who um, uh, Stelios, Stelios, who, who complimented us on having a Europe-friendly streaming time, which is mm. you're welcome. We tried, uh, yeah. Yes, he said watching movie trailers from the '80s and '90s calms him down. Just to throw <laughs> some colorful. <laughs> That is great. Um, they're so different, aren't they, Larry? Like, yeah, there's yeah. a narrator, you know, imagine a world <laughs> where time flows backwards. You know, they have these, like... There's... In a world where my voice calms down, angry people. <laughs> or the rom-com ones, Larry? Like, <laughs> yeah. he's down on his luck. She's, a, you know, a, an she entrepreneur. not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. <laughs> that's a great. Uh, that's a great example. Um, 
And speaking of that, Rebecca says reading calms me down. Um, my my wife, uh, her go-to skill has been doing crossword puzzles during this pandemic. It's something that gets her out of that emotional place and pulls her more into a wise place. It's um, it's really helpful there. Documentaries um, on Netflix and Prime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Zaheer, of course, mentioning our favorite skill. I binge on Trek every time I'm sick or upset. Nostalgia mm-hmm. triggers your mind's immune response. Uh, yep, I also watch the psych show. Yes, I got a whole episode on nostalgia. Thank you, Zaheer. Uh, you can learn a lot more about that on, over at the psych show on YouTube. Um, <clears throat> such great examples. Um, uh, such great examples coming in here, uh, Larry. Um, um, Glenn, uh, one of our, our past uh, guests here on, on the show, I used to keep all my anger inside, which I knew was unhealthy, and I almost never blew up at anyone. I finally got um, a standing punching bag that I can hit repeatedly when I'm angry, and that transitioned into becoming part of my weekly workouts, making a fun way to release my anger. So that's that's a really great example, Glenn, where, um, you know, I talk about like venting your anger is not a healthy thing, but for some people, physical activity that helps organize your mind and body well, is a good thing. I was going to say the minute it becomes part of a uh, punching something in the moment may not be helpful in the moment or long term. But if you're incorporating it into it, now you're now you're rationalizing or now you've engaged the brain. So by definition, you're doing Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a great way to think about it, Larry, because now it's gone from not a purely emotional impulse to to, right to something that requires rational thought and organization and and control. And I think that's a big difference between Mm -hmm. venting your anger and like punching pillows versus some type of controlled activity that requires skill and thought and practice. Absolutely. Um, Heidi's mentioning. When I get angry, my pulse increases and I start to feel tense, then it shut down. I don't like being angry because I did grow up with a parent and a brother with mm-hmm. anger issues, and I don't want to be that way. That gets to everything we were talking about before, Heidi. Uh, Larry, you were about to say something before. I, I was going to say, I saw, uh, uh, so Stephen, my nephew's with us again here in a past uh, call-in guest. He, aside from having an example really early on about, you were talking about distraction, Mm-hmm. And he said, an example, he said, like a rodeo clown after a after a bull ride or something. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's a distraction for people, emotional. But anyway, here he says, um, he's in the Army. He's in, well, I shouldn't say what he's in. Maybe I'll have to be shot. He says, the Army has a wonderful resiliency program, mm-hmm. which I, you know, that whole, that we haven't even, one week our, I'm, I go there because we think of soldiers immediately, but it's, as we see, it's across the way. One of these weeks, our topic will be PTSD and and everything associated with that, and we've got that Wasn't in. Was our first topic, Larry? Did we talk about trauma? Wasn't that week one? Well, that was just that was generic trauma. I'm talking about acronym trauma now. Oh, you know, well, we I've always wanted to talk about uh, um, hmm. uh, tr- PTSD and Deep Space Nine. So yeah, maybe we should do that. I think I um, think we. Anyway, we, he said, we could also talk about resiliency too. We have. He's talking about as a as a scheduled as a as a bureaucratic as a programmatic, uh, programmatic not problematic as a programmatic thought thing. He says the army has a wonderful resiliency program, and he would love to see your thoughts on it. It's probably a manual, so I don't know if we get yeah, into it. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, um, it's a the um the armed forces have um 
it goes back to the to the history of um, of clinical psychology as a field. Um, my field really has the armed forces to thank for our existence because what happened with World War One is um, and World War Two. Um, there weren't enough psychiatrists, enough physicians to deal with what was called shell shock at that point, which mm-hmm. was PTSD. And um, they took what were academic um, researchers, psychologists, and brought them in to help them to tr- to treat this big problem of trauma that was happening with World War II. And with World War I, I should back up, um, psychologists were brought in to help to do assessments of who's who's the best fit for different positions in the military. The problem with some of that is some of that research was really based on racist ideas and racist IQ tests. And so, um, you know, if you were a person of color, you were automatically often put on uh, the front lines. Um, so there, there was issues that, but um, there's been, since the beginning of my field of clinical psychology, um, there's been a strong relationship with the armed forces and of, of, like one, some of the uh, one of the best treatments for treating trauma has come out of a partnership with um, with the uh, the military and with psychologists. So there's a lot we can explore there. Um, a couple of things I wanted to, to mention here. And, and by the way, folks, we are deep into our hailing frequencies. In they've case been, you hadn't noticed. They've been yeah. open for a while. Um, We've been backing into everything sideways today. It's, so it's, it's, just a, it's a wacky day. This was day. all planned. It's a, it's a wacky day for it, us, Larry. It, it does no good to get mad about this kind of thing. It just, <laughs> no, just let no. Uh, but don't distance yourself from our episode. Please keep <laughs> yeah. watching. Um, Tim says, no better cure for vented and built up frustration than go for a walk among nature and or walking a pet dog um going for a walk is is good for so many things and we've talked in the past about how nature is so healing um yeah and if if you're in a time and space where you can do that it's it's a wonderful thing um you mentioned walking a dog or a, a pet and something that's so great about that is it um again it can pull you out of that emotional place and get you into more of a wise place because it's a dog can uh, require a lot of your focus and um, uh, get you focused on different things and get you taking care of someone else or something else can be a great way to get distraction from things that are really frustrating you and pull you into that wise place so you can kind of deal with this problem. Um, I want to answer Dan's question over here. Isn't anger detrimental to brain chemistry? No, you're you're wired to experience anger in the same way that you're wired to spe- experience fear and sadness. The The problem is really if you experience... What's is that? happiness in there? Can happiness be an emotion? The brain is wired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh. um, happiness is complicated. We maybe we want to talk about that. I thought um, you were going to leave that out. Okay. <laughs> we should, the brain maybe, is only wired to experience negative emotions. Okay. No, no, no. Like joy. Um, <laughs> there's there's so many so many positive emotions as well. It's not detrimental in any way. You're wired to experience these things. Um, none of these emotions stay there forever. The problem is if if you experience them um, in the extremes in such a way that it starts to get in the way of your life. So if your anger, um, if people don't want to work with you because of your anger, or if you're physically hurting yourself because of your anger, you're punching walls, breaking hands, or if you um, road rage, if you put your life or someone else's life in danger, um, if you're causing fights and hurting people in your family, friends and family, 
that's when anger is a problem. Um, but um, everyday anger is a normal emotion we all have to experience. When you're out in public where people are going to have cell phone cameras and you get angry and then the next thing you know, you've lost your job because five billion people all saw you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's appropriately blow up. Yes, it's um, <clears throat> um, if to if you did something horrible. Yeah, that's that's a that's a, a good example of uh, of how anger. Can you, you know, if you uh, turn in, um, if you threaten to have people. Uh, arrested for bogus reasons and they're filming you while you say this or you're tearing down free speech posters that people are posting <laughs> you know um, and it's on camera as you do this in a very angry weird way uh, yeah just people can't po- I don't know I keep saying that the iPhone's maybe the best democratic democratic de- democratizing tool ever invented because it's you know bringing so much out that people people part of the uh, part of the crazy um, unsettledness of the time, the chaotic moment of the time, is it feels like we've just ripped the Band-Aid off, but now the, the wound is going to heal faster. Right. But um, right. but it, it's a great way to... A lot of these people that have been walking around is anger, or they've got their triggers, but if it's an anger or a trigger that is... And I hope I'm not throwing buzzwords around too quickly here, but if it's an anger or trigger that it's unjustified, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's like this was going to happen anyway, whether you had a crowd of 50 people to see you do this and it happens or or it's inappropriate and it comes out in some other way. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, Ali, but I'm, just... <laughs> I'm not sure either. So let's turn to Susan. Who let's says, do this. Something. Yeah. My job has a lot of frustrations. <laughs> that was a dead end. Okay. Um, my job has a lot of frustrations that I oh, can't hot. control. And at times I get caught in a loop of ranting about those things instead of just buckling mm-hmm. down and pushing through. So, Susan, it, it sounds like what you need is a little bit of both of what we've it's been talking job. about. Oh, no, <laughs> it's a new job. Right. Um, well, it's, it's about... Um, um, if you get if you're getting too frustrated in the moment, what are some things that can give you a little bit of distance? What are things that can create different emotions? What are things that can get you out of that emotional place to to get you through that moment and then go through that protocol? Like, why are you experiencing anger? Does it fit the facts of the situation? Maybe. You do need to act in that anger in some way because maybe it'll help you reach your goals if you do act on that anger. Maybe some work needs to be delegated to other people. Maybe you need more support in some way. Maybe uh, there, there's something missing there that uh, there's a reason why your body is continuing to get frustrated. And if there's nothing you can do about it, then maybe finding other ways to cope and get some daily distance from it, maybe that's um, what what is going to help and if none of that works then something i often talk to people is is coming to terms with the things you can't change we might be playing tug of war with the situation and sometimes the way we win is by stop playing the game and no longer struggling with the situation doesn't mean we like it doesn't mean we support it but finding ways to ending our 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 struggle with the conflict we might be experiencing um that's ongoing. Steven says, uh, I, and again, I, he's referring to an army context. I think he says, we teach real-time resilience, so RTR. We teach real-time resilience to get back to the task at hand and while fighting counterproductive thoughts. Yeah. it's um, Which is all mindfulness in an acronym, I guess. It's on we, that, could, we could do a that, whole thing about, about mindfulness. Uh, the real quick part about mindfulness is it's less about um, feeling better and it's more about feeling more 
and letting go of some of the ways in which we try to control ourselves. Um, but that's like a whole nother episode. Um, Stephen's oh, response... damn. I thought we'd wrap up in three or four weeks. I guess not. <laughs> Stephen's responding while communicating in a situation of anger. The Army Resilience Program shows the downfalls of aggressive and passive communication while supporting assertive communication. Yeah, there's a great um, if anyone wants to learn more about assertiveness, uh, there's a great acronym called Dear Man. Um, and uh, it comes from that treatment uh, called dialectical behavior therapy. And the only part that you really need to learn is that first part, the DEER. Um, D stands for describe the situation. E is express how it impacted you. A is assert what you need. But the key is R is reinforce how this is going to help you. So, Larry, I'll share. This is the last thing I'll share. Um, yes, because I, in case you didn't know, the day of honor <laughs> live stream is starting uh at the top of the hour like right now so we may lose people for that but that's okay kapla everybody if you're headed that way uh the last so this last thing i want to share is um one of my biggest pet peeves is if i'm in a movie theater again this is from the before times if i'm in a movie theater and someone around me is talking my mind cannot focus on the movie if it's happening i constantly my ears keep checking in on the conversation so here's how i use dear man is I'll I'll turn to the person and I'll say, excuse me, um, I don't know if you realize this, but I can hear your conversation. So that's the D, describe what's happening. E's express, it's really hard for me to focus on, on the movie. That's the express, how it's impacting me. A is assert. So I'll say, is there any way you could stop talking or keep talking outside the movie theater? That's what I asserting what I need. But here's the key, Larry. Here's what always does it is the R reinforce. How is this going to be good for them and others? Um, and I'll say, I just I don't want people around me to get upset at this. And I, I don't want uh, uh, people. Um, uh, I don't want people to get upset and to get mad at you. And I've uh, except for one time, it's always worked well for me. <laughs> and that one time, uh, I, I don't think there's anything I could have said that would have helped out uh -huh. the situation. Uh, a manager had to come and, and deal with that. But um, dear man, the, the dear man skill is a wonderful way of being assertive um, if anyone wants more help with that. Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Alimatu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Psych Show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nemechek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time... Live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone.